I think no matter what role you are in, unless you quit, you're in that role. So treat it like it is your business. Treat it as if you are the owner. Instead of feeling like they're lucky to have you, feel like that you are lucky to have them. And you're gonna show every day the people around you why they're lucky to have you. I think when I look back, I'm like, that I should have been better at that. Hello, my friends. My name is Dwayne Default, and I'm extremely grateful to bring you an inspiring message from one of our fellow leaders. I believe that we can all be better leaders, and no matter what, it's our responsibility to take ownership of that journey. If you get value from today's episode, and since we all need an inspiring message from time to time, please share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it on LinkedIn or any of the other social media platforms so we can spread the word on what it's like to be a leader in today's sales environment. Now let's get to today's episode. Please listen closely, maybe even take some notes so you can remember these lessons of leadership. Thanks again for listening. Now let's dive in. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Sales Leader Network podcast. And today I've actually got a good friend of mine that we've worked a few years together at a previous company and she's done a lot in the industry and she's been in sales and sales leadership for probably twice as long as I have. And so it's going to be amazing to get the perspective of my good friend, Stephanie Patty. So Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. And if you can, for the audience, just give a brief introduction as to like who you are, you know, kind of your journey in sales leadership and kind of what you're doing right now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm curious if you are trying to say that I'm twice your age. No, no, (laughs) not the case, not the case. No, Um, you're going for pure experience, right? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, I am a growth leadership and sales coach. I run an organization called GLS Sales uh, Coaching and Consulting. And then I also have an organization that I started uh, called Women Worship and Work. I guess I like the three-letter acronym. So we'll we'll do it WWW for short. Uh, But anyways, you know, I had what I like to say is almost not quite, but almost two decades in sales, sales leadership, sales strategy, had the opportunity to kind of be a part of a startup, but within a very large organization before I made the jump to jump out on my own. And so most of my time right now is spending time with individuals and organizations working on their growth and growth from a leadership perspective, growth from a sales perspective, but ultimately, how are we getting a little bit better every single day? Growth is such a, a relative term too, when you think about it, because everyone's growth is particular to who they are, but what made you want to get into that type of coaching? Well, so I will tell you, I mean, I was probably two or three years into first sales role, went to a sales training. I think it was a leadership training. And I remember sitting in the room thinking one day I'm going to be leading a session like this. And we're talking about probably, you know, 12 years ago, maybe longer than that, that I I was sitting in that room and I said, one day I'm going to be doing this for other people. And I knew I needed experience. I knew I needed education and, you know, all that sort of thing to really get it under my belt. But if you were to ask me, are you a salesperson? Originally, I would say no. In fact, sales was not my first job. 
I was horrified when I took my first sales job and I can go into this a little bit more <laughs> yeah. if, if you want to, if you want me to, but I, I want to know part of sales. I thought salespeople were slimy and I never wanted to be a part of that, but I was moving from one part of the country to another and I really needed a job with a base salary and I got an offer and I thought I will take this job for six months and then I'm out. And turns out that sales is really a meritocracy. You do well, you can create your own path. And within one year, I made more money than I did in three years out of college, which I know isn't a long time when we look back, but you know, anybody in sales knows that you really can create your own income. So that's kind of what sold me was being able to create my own destiny from a financial perspective. But at the end of the day, I never, and I'm telling you almost two decades of sales, I still to this day don't thrive on the close of the sale. I never did. I never did when I was getting awards and accolades. For me, it was always the process. It was always, how am I helping the person on the other side? How am I teaching my team? And so I know that's not how most salespeople are. Most salespeople, in fact, I've got some really good friends that they still salivate over the close, that, that win, that signing. <laughs> yeah, I've that got those two. That was never me. And so I think that's how I ended up in this role was I want to help people become the best versions of themselves. Uh, but first of all, I don't know that that ever even stops. So there's not even a dotted line for me to celebrate on. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And I was going to, I wrote a question down where we're talking about hitting that revenue marker in that first year. And my question, it was going to be, what do you think the difference is between those who kind of make it in those first couple of years versus don't, but then that whole part about not salivating over the close and focusing on the process from my experience, that's kind of where that difference is. And so where would you think the difference is from like the people who, you know, quote unquote, make it versus the ones that kind of fall out early on? Yeah, so I'm gonna come back to the actual answer of that in a second. That first year, I remember, now this was back in the day, we had email, I'm not that old. We had email, <laughs> but you know, we, there sure wasn't social email, you know, social media and all that stuff out. And so I literally was going door to door. I'd get into a strip center and I would go door to door. And I remember I was sitting in a parking lot and I'm not really a big crier. I'm not an emotional person. I can count on about three fingers in 20 years, you know, how much I've cried at the office. But I was sitting in my car. I live in Houston, really hot. And I was sitting in my car and I was crying. And a John Moore air conditioning guy, older man, knocked on my window. I'm in a strip center, okay? and um of businesses okay yeah, like strip mall <laughs> <laughs> and he knocks on my window and he sees this young woman and he's like what's wrong and, and i roll down my window a little bit make sure it's safe and i get out of the car and i said i hate sales and he looked at me and he said i don't know what to tell you because sales is in everything business does not take place without a sale so you don't need to feel sleazy. You don't need to feel slimy. It is how the world works. You will always be selling yourself. And that really just changed my mindset on he's right. Um, but I'll tell you, 
to answer your actual question, like what's the difference? I think the difference is, is you have to have a why. And for me at that stage in my life, I grew up with very little and I had to fight for everything that I had. And I had a lot of really good things work out for me. I definitely feel like God was on my side. So I don't want to, you know, paint this poor pitiful picture, but it was definitely something that was very much earned. And so for me at that point, my why was I need to make money so I can change the legacy of my life and and the legacy of who comes after me. Now, if you ask me now, am I money motivated? I would say that is not my driving force because it worked and I was able to get into a situation where money did not have to be everything for me. But at that point in time, money was first and foremost so I could change the course of my life. Now, and people that I coach, I mean, there's a lot of women that I work with that don't, and I, I don't know why I say women, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to say women. Um, maybe there's a little bit of a stereotype here, but they don't have to work and, um, or they for sure don't have to make a certain amount of money and they're moms and they're stretched thin, but they want to work. They have a drive and a desire for growth. They have a drive and desire for whatever success means to them for career development. So whatever it is, they have a why. What I found early in those years and early in sales leadership, if we hired someone that didn't have a why, didn't have something they were fighting for, didn't have something that they they could see in their vision, then they would almost always fail. And we would know immediately. We would know within months, this person isn't going to last because there's nothing that they're driving for. And so why do you think that's a factor? Because it's a hard job. Yeah. You know, it's like baseball, right? You're told no way, way, way more than you're told yes. Um, depending on what you sell, it could be commoditized or, you know, there's so many different options out there right now. You have to stand out. And in order to stand out amongst the crowd, it is hard. It is difficult. Sometimes back then for me, it was even physically straining. Like it was hot. I was going door to door, but it's mentally straining. And then there's leaderboards. It's like a constant mirror in your face of how you're falling short. And so you have to be really mentally tough and have a bigger reason to keep getting up and doing that battle. And the reference to the, the women's side of it, it's such... The stereotype is that it's just such a male dominated environment and it's just like a pressure cooker that continues to build and build and build with the mirror in front of you. And so, you know, being a young female in her career and really wanting to make that, that imprint and set that legacy, like, what did you do? Like, what did you have to go through to continue hitting success after success to stay that way? Well, I'll tell you, and I don't know if this, first of all, I think the world is changing. So I think a lot of people listening to this now will have hopefully a different experience than what I did, but really up as a salesperson and even as a sales leader, at least in the organization that I was in, my frontline sales manager, I honestly didn't know there was a glass ceiling. Like if anything, going to shoot you really straight. 
in some ways it worked to my advantage because a lot of people will talk to you if you're a young female. And so I'm, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to put it out there. And so in many of those ways, I never felt a glass ceiling. The organization that I worked in, at least at that front level, I was like, I can be CEO. Like I was naive enough to think like, oh, I'm just going to keep going up there. Right. What, what really changed was when, when I became a leader of leaders. And when I got my first VP of sales title, and at this point, I've got two young kids at home. I look to my left, I look to my right, every single person in my office and on my team, on my division, were men with stay-at-home wives. That's when I realized, okay, I've got to play a different game to be successful here. Because when you get a 15 minute break, I don't know what you're doing, but when I get a 15 minute break, I'm going into the mother's room and I'm pumping breast milk. And that is very, very different than what the men at my title, at my level at that time were going through. I couldn't imagine. Cause like I've got four daughters married and I've managed and led multiple types of personalities, people. And I couldn't imagine being in that spot where you are in such a role that demands a certain level of, I don't want to say authority, but just that presence to where people are going to listen, follow, and be encouraged by what you're doing. And that's such a vulnerable state to be in. Like, were there any specific tactics or habits or something that like enabled you to maintain that level that you needed to be at? Well, yeah, there are a couple of them and they were, some of them were very unhelpful. So I'll share them with you just in case there's anybody else out there that can relate. But the first thing is, is I killed myself, right? Because I, instead of accepting where I was rolling into, this is a really great opportunity. I am leading other women also that might want to be in my shoes And so I can bring them along in the journey. I can show them what this looks like. Instead of walking in that confidence, I just got up earlier. I slept less. I probably fought more (laughs) in my marriage. I gave my kids less time. I did a lot of that in order to show face at work. And so I really missed an opportunity to bring some people along and say, you know what? It doesn't have to be this way. It can be a different way. I also missed an opportunity to bring the men along as well. And when something would be said to me that I felt was really offensive or really unfair, I would get defensive or I would try to battle back in the same way because that's what most of, I had seen women come before me. I worked in an organization that definitely had a lot of women leaders. But I don't think we had a culture of here's women leaders and this is what it's like to be a part of it. It was here's women leaders and we're going to try to keep up with everybody else in the exact same way that they're doing it. And we're going to carry a facade and we're going to have a mask and we're going to be tough and we're always going to look perfect and we're going to do all those things. And there were moments of that. I remember really clearly we were I was traveling for work and again, team, all guys. And I get a text from my boss and he's like, we're all downstairs in the hotel. Where are you? And that was a moment where I owned it. I said, I've got a pump. I'll meet you there. And you know what? They had another drink and they waited for me 
and we all went down and we rode together. And so it's like, if I would have shown up a little bit more like that, maybe it just would have been better. And that is where I want to really encourage everybody is that we have an opportunity to show up where we are and be authentic because I can assure you people are going through the exact same struggles that you are. I look back at so many different situations or not, not the same, but situations where you feel like you need to show up a certain way. And instead of doing what you know is true to who you are on the inside, you try to show up with this other person and it ends up backfiring. Like people can sense the fakeness. Like there's some subconscious trigger firing off in the reticular activating system in their mind that says something is off and it ends up getting worse and worse until you finally have the courage and the, the vulnerability to pull that mask off. Was there a, like a particular moment in your career that helped or showed you that's what was needed? That's a hard question because I can identify the season like it was yesterday. I think identifying the moment is a little bit harder. I will say that, you know, when I was able to really turn it around, turn my team around, I started rolling into things in the way that I knew it would work. I started quit worrying about what I am, how I'm showing up. And I really made sure that I focused on my team. What would make my leaders successful? What would make the people that worked for me successful? What obstacles did I need to move? And honestly, I feel like a lot of leaders, I, I think most sales leaders would say, my job is to re remove obstacles, especially for my best people. So I don't think that I'm sharing anything that's like completely earth shattering. But I think what changed from that perspective was I'm going to remove obstacles from these people, from my team, and I'm going to do it in the way that I think it needs to be done. I'm going to beat to the beat of our own drum a little bit. And I'm going to be okay whether we succeed or fail from what's on the leaderboard because I think that we're following the process right. And lo and behold, that ended up working things out. So um, now I will tell you though, the entire reason I started Women Worship and Work was because I reflected on that season in my life. And I said, gosh, there are so many things I wish I would have known walking into that season truths that I wish instead of lies that I was believing truths that I would have held on to. And so I can definitely look at that season as a very defining moment, but not necessarily a defining thing that I woke up one day and said, I'm going to do it different. So many questions on that particular part, but I want to back up a step. <laughs> when you said just a second ago about you're not saying anything earth shattering when it comes to removing obstacles for other leaders. True. But I think where the disconnect is from what I've seen in a lot of the coaching I've done is people don't know what the specifics are. Like, yeah, I need to remove roadblocks. But when someone goes in and actually tries to do that, they miss the boat. They try to remove something or they're doing they're stepping in. And for them, they think that's stepping in on a one on one with their sales manager to help them. That's them stepping in and helping them close the deal because their sales rep needs the help. And so from your perspective, like what does that actually mean to remove a roadblock? Is there examples that you can give? Well, yes, but I'm going to give you an examples now from what I've seen as a coach. 
and some of the reflection work and some of the things that I've learned within John Maxwell and the coaching community, we need to think about other people and not ourselves. So my why originally was I need to make more money. Then it was I need other people to be successful so I can be successful. And so I think there is some component of if I help you, ultimately that'll help me. So this is a little bit of that. But where I'm at now in my season, oh my gosh, every interaction from an internal person, from a prospect, from my team member, if I would really stop and think about what is Dwayne going through? What is he trying to accomplish? How is he trying to accomplish that it's not actually working for him? And how can I paint a picture for him of a different way that might be more helpful? So I've got to, I have to get out of me and I have to put myself in their shoes, their situation, what they're struggling with, how they're trying to fix it, and then how I really feel like they should be trying to fix it. To me, that is removing the obstacle, is showing them a new way, a different way, and almost helping them get out of their own way and letting it be okay to do that. Yeah, it's like for me, the way I've looked at it is you really have to spend time, one, getting to know them whether it takes three or four phone calls with a new potential coaching client, or if it's a, a new new sales manager that comes in, it's taking the time, slowing down, spending those hours, really getting to know someone from the other side of things, not just what their title is, to even begin to think about what their obstacles are. And half the time I've seen that people don't understand their own obstacles. So hundred percent. So I've listened to some of your podcasts and you do talk a lot Uh-oh. about that. You talk a lot about... <laughs> getting to know the person like this is a people game leadership is a people game i think one of the things that we do if i were to kind of flip it in the wrong way like let's say we've got a top performer we think getting out of their own way is they don't have to attend the team meeting they don't have to be at all the stuff like that's how we're going to get out of their own way and i did that so many times that those were the obstacles i removed you don't have to be on this call in reality I should have rolled up my sleeves, spent a little bit more time with them, like you said, and really think about how can I help them grow? Because just because they're a top performer doesn't mean they can't be a little bit better. Now, I might give them some slack if they miss a meeting. Honestly, I'd give anybody some slack around that if I'm really understanding of what their situation is and I understand why. And then I give them the feedback and I hold them accountable to what I expect in the future, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's that, that other part of it that no one talks about is the communication, uh, clearly understanding expectations and the follow-up on that, which I, I feel is like the second part that a lot of leaders either don't know how to do or just don't do it in general. That's Because you can, you can give all the feedback, you can have all the conversations in the world, you can read all the books and do all these things, but if there's no follow-through, there's no follow-up on things that you've talked about, the accountability side, it's like you're just, it's wasted breath. Um, so much of that is the other part of it, like I was saying, but like, so where do you find some of the biggest gaps right now? Like you were in the industry, you were in a producer role or leadership role at a company, and now you've been kind of on your own for the last year. You have a different perspective on it now. Were there things going into sales leadership that you thought needed to be done? And then now you kind of think differently. Is there anything like that going on? 
Well, yeah, I mean, yes, there was even back then, like I thought this is what sales leadership was. And then I got in and, and it wasn't. And then I also feel like I have a different perspective. So I think just from that first comment, I'll say, you know, being a sales leader is hard because you have to manage to the individual. If, if you're leading leaders, you have to manage to the leaders that are most importantly working for you directly. And then you have to have a bigger view on the individual contributors, but then you have to build a whole culture. And I think that I kind of missed the boat. Ultimately, I built, I think, a, a strong culture. So I don't want to take away from that. But I missed the boat on making some difficult decisions for the greater good. And I think that is something that is really hard when you get into leadership is sometimes you have to make some difficult decisions for the greater good. Um, even when you think about um, just like our personal life and our friendships, I think sometimes you can look at some of your friends and say, you know, this was good for a season, but it's not good for life. It's not good for long term. And it's okay. I think sometimes we need to be okay with we made the wrong hire or you're not happy and I don't have anyone to backfill you, but it's better to get you where you need to be than to make some selfish decision or to let you continue to make decisions that are hurting the culture, right? So I definitely think when I stepped into that role, I should have looked at it as an entrepreneur. And so now that I'm an entrepreneur, this is what I look back at. It used to drive me crazy that I'd have to do quarterly updates. <laughs> and I have to spend all this time together on sales decks to go show my boss and my boss's boss that I was actually doing my job. Just let me do my job, right? But now, guess what happens the day you're an entrepreneur? You have to show your clients that you are doing something that is revenue generating for them. And when you're a coach, that's really hard to do. I don't have a quota. I don't have, like, there is nothing on paper that says that I am worth the money. And so I have to build that story. Why in the heck wouldn't I have spent more time managing up and building that story and taking that pride in my team and the space and bringing others along on the journey that I was doing? Because it would only would have helped my team. And so I think no matter what role you are in, unless you quit, you're in that role. So treat it like it is your business. Treat it as if you are the owner. Instead of feeling like they're lucky to have you, feel like that you are lucky to have them. And you're going to show every day the people around you why they're lucky to have you. I think when I look back, I'm like, that I should have been better at that. That made a a memory popped in my mind when I was, uh, I'd left construction um, when I was 21. And like, cause I grew up in construction, uh, I built houses, concrete, all that stuff. And I made the shift, an extreme shift to go into sales. And I remember being in a sales meeting. It was probably six months into it. And I had that, let's just call it entitlement of previously having worked and having a good job. And uh, I came from the industry that that particular company sold into. And so I felt like they were lucky that I was there to help them figure things out. And all of the arrogance that came from that created a like a negative vibe or negative cloud around me that I just didn't see back then. And it took me leaving that organization, going into a completely different 
role type and getting basically my ass handed to me for me to see exactly what you're talking about, where you're lucky, like as the individual, you're lucky and internally grateful for having that one client, especially when when you're an entrepreneur and you get someone that buys into you, someone that signs on the dotted line and willingly gives you money for something that's rattling around in your head, it not only is it extremely anxiety inducing because now you have to deliver, but it's something that I agree. I wish I would have had that perspective very early on, even to down to the individual contributor when you're an entry level salesperson. It's it's having that perspective of, of being grateful to be there and being a part of something rather than they're lucky to have you type of stuff. It's just completely different. Yeah. And I, I want to just clarify a little bit because it is a balance in the fact that I talk a lot about confidence and I think that we do need to be confident. So I'm not in any way, shape or form saying that think less of yourself or be less confident. But at the same time, unless you're willing to put on your tennis shoes and go a different way, you're there. So if you're there, you need to be grateful for the opportunity that's given to you, even if it's a little bit dysfunctional. Because I don't know how you are with this, Dwayne. This is what I really want to encourage everybody. Or <laughs> discourage. I'm not sure where this is going to go. But every single organization is a mess. And every single organization is awesome. Just like every human, we all have the things that we need to work on. And then we all have the areas that we're incredible. And so you might truly be in a situation where it's like, this is hard. I wish they would do things differently. Why are they making these decisions? X, Y, Z. And you could just whiteboard all the things that's tough, hard, whatever about your position or your organization. And then you probably on the flip side could whiteboard everything that's great about it, all the good things the organization is doing, all the good things your leader has, and you need to decide what is more helpful and remember that you can pick up and go somewhere else and be able to do the exact same thing. I saw a meme or something the other day, the grass is greener on the other side because they have a filter. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were gonna say the grass is greener where you water it, but that's true too. It's something that we all have to work to. We have to work on finding a positive because so much of society is fueled on the negativity because that's a, a more visceral emotion. That's what goes viral on social media. And so we have to have a practice of finding the positivity. And, and this is something that I, I try to do with any of my coaching clients too. One, when you go in and do your discovery or you have that conversation with them, everything is all around finding the problems. Focus on the problems, help them see the solution to their problems and connect yours to that. But it's really problem focused. And so one of the things that I coach on for sales reps, teams is helping them kind of turn the corner a little bit. Yeah, you want to identify where the problems are, but don't stop there. Help people understand where the wins are, where the, where the benefits are, and then help them look at both sides of the equation. And so looking at, let's just say you've got a previous manager, previous boss, or CEO that you worked for that you willingly left because you thought it was horrible. I promise you, no one would be where they are today if they didn't have those experiences that they went through. Simple. 
And so you have to look at a situation as how did it serve you? Not that it happened to you or the world's out to get you or you're, you know, you're on God's bad side or whatever. Every situation in life happens for a reason and it's up to you to choose to see that. And if all you're going to do is pay attention to the right side of that T graph of all the negatives, then that's all you're ever going to see. You're going to just take that same person to the next job, to the next job, to the next relationship, to the next park, wherever. You're always going to be that person that finds a negative because it's so easy because everyone helps you do it. It's doing what you said. It's taking both sides, looking at the good and the bad, but understanding that that graph is all about one thing and it's about taking steps to improve going forward. Yeah, you work for a CEO that was a, a gaslighting master that would tell you things that weren't true and wouldn't let you act on certain things. You worked for a sales leader that wouldn't sit down and have an honest one-on-one -on -one with you and never share their camera or, or whatever. You can sit and wallow in self-pity and think that they were doing that to you and you take it personally, or you can use it to shape your next step forward. You can look at it as opportunities to take control of your improvement. Look at it as opportunities of things not to do in the future. It's just all about how you choose to use it for you rather than making the world against you for whatever reason. Well, and I, the example that you gave, I know it's just really off the cuff, but sales leader won't get on my camera. Well, I look back and I think, how could I have articulated it better that I need yeah. them on camera? How could I have done a better job of building a story around how it's beneficial for both of us that we're able to have this connection, right? Versus just griping about it. Now, at the same time, it is fact, you know, they weren't on camera. And so it, it doesn't mean it wasn't true, but it's how am I learning to work around that better and more effectively? You know, there's one thing that you said, and I know this is the sales leader network. And so I want to provide some, some. It should just be like leader network. Okay, leader so many network. Conversations that <laughs> well, and, and listen, this is not me. This is a John Maxwell thing, but he really talks about, I think it's in becoming a person of influence. He talks about how a leader is a navigator right? Like you think about the navigator of a ship and they see farther, they know more. And I think of as leaders, we really have to look at our team and look at our people and see the way, see the vision, see where we're going and help them be a part of that story and that journey. And then think about what are the smaller steps that we need to get there to make it come to life for them? And I've got, there's a movie, I've got a really good analogy Let's hear it. Okay. It's um, the movie Hidden Figures is about three African-American women in the NASA space program and what their importance was to that program. But it's called Hidden Figures because during that time it was in the 60s. You know, they literally were working in a basement. But there is this woman and she's one of the three key women. And I won't give away the movie if anybody hasn't seen it. But literally back then they had human computers. So her team were the computers, the ones actually writing, doing all the numbers, doing the additions and all this. And NASA goes and buys this computer that literally takes up an entire room. And so this leader is seeing, they're already like in a basement, right? And she's like, yeah. NASA has basically bought machines for my people, but nobody knew how to use the machine. So she would sneak in there and she, you know, she basically figured out how to work the machine. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was they couldn't work it out and she goes and she's like, Hey, I know how to use it. 
but I'm not going to teach you how to use it unless you bring all my people over to work this computer. And so she saw the way she saw that what was coming ahead. She didn't sit there and think, no, they're getting a computer. All my people are getting fired. There's nothing I can do about it. She's like, no, how am I going to be a part of the solution? And how am I going to pave that way for my people? That is what leadership really is. I don't know if it was John Maxwell or if it was like a, like a Burchard type of thing, but it was the saying in my head, it always sticks in my head is enlist the team into the journey. And that, that doesn't mean like recruit people or tell people what to do. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's paving that picture. It's paving that path forward and helping them see how their vision, their journey is connected to that. So they can weave their own uh, version into it rather than just being told what to do or being told to go away. And there's something in that I feel like is missed in a lot of management roles in modern business today, where it's more about instructions, more about detailed blueprints, and you must do X, Y, and Z with little room for creativity. And it doesn't give people the opportunity to kind of bring in their own journey and their own process into what the vision is for the company. Yeah, I'm working with a client right now. And it's very similar to that. They were, you know, want to write all these scripts, want to do all these things in the way that it's always been done before. And we had the conversation and, and I said, it's good to have a blueprint, but we need to teach the people how to fish. Like we don't need to give them a meal. We can show them what a meal looks like. We can fuel them for a couple hours. We need to teach them how to go make their own food, to hunt, gather, cook it, all that, because that's how it's sustainable. And doing that takes time, right? And so that's some of the harder parts. But that's how you build longevity. It's giving them a framework, a foundation. It's the I think the one of the biggest issues right now, not in just not in leadership alone, but just in business, is there's no patience for things. Everyone wants everything yesterday, and that's what they get from scripts. They can put a script in place, they can put this process in place, follow it to a T, and they can potentially get X, Y, and Z results. But there's no longevity with it. And when you give people frameworks and teach them how to think, understand the situation and put in their own personality, their own journey in it, it takes longer. Gosh, you build so much better, more solid of a foundation with the individual and the team that it reduces attrition. You, you reduce depression and anxiety in, in the organization because people feel ownership. There's, there's so much to be said in that little part of leading teams that no one really gets into. I have a question for you because I know we're getting tight on time. Uh oh. So can we flip the script? Can I be the podcast host? Go ahead. Let's go. Let's do it. I've always wanted to be a podcast host. Okay. <laughs> you told me when you reached out to me, you said, I, and I hope it's okay that I say this, but you said, I'm having trouble getting women leaders. Yeah. I've even been told no. It's like they don't want to come on. Yeah. And so I want to hear a little bit about your perspective as to why and you know what that means and then anything maybe that you'd want to ask around that where i could share some story around it as well i think there's a that mask and facade you mentioned earlier i still feel that happens a lot that women in particular and everybody you know everyone when they're a new manager feels like they need to put on this you know aggressive assertive very authoritative type of facade and it came from a place where i had a conversation with a female leader earlier this year and, and there was a lot of anxiety about voicing perspective 
from their situation, from what they believed in, in fear of being judged because of who she was. And she didn't want to say it out loud, didn't want to do that. She wanted to give it time and and to work into it and, you know, quote unquote, earn her ability. And when I asked what that meant, like, what does it mean to earn your voice? And there wasn't an answer. And so it's, I, I think there's one, I've got four daughters. And so I, I love, and one of the reasons why I liked working with your past organization was because there was a process in place to really help build that confidence and shape what female leaders could do in an organization. And so I always kind of gravitated towards that. And my, my daughter still read that book that you got them. So thank you for that. It's a, it's in our travel trailer. They look forward to it every camping trip, girls who wear boots. It's great. But like, I think there's still this like culture, this stereotype that sales leaders need to be like the wolf of wall street there needs to be this like hoorah energy this authoritative type of individual and it's really not from my perspective i've gotten more from other female leaders not just sales leaders because the natural empathy that comes out from that individual like it's ingrained instinctually to come from their perspective and that's what leadership is at its core like you said it earlier about coming and being from someone else's shoes, coming from their perspective and being able to see it from their side. And so it's it's interesting. Like I, I feel like there's this conflict of who someone is and wants to truly be on the inside versus what the surface level stereotypical pressure that's put on it. And so I think that's one reason why it's it's kind of a struggle, at least for me. And plus, you know, big gregarious out loud person that could throw people off too. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of my take on the situation as to why it's a struggle sometimes. What about from your perspective? Well, so I had someone tell me a long time ago that everyone talks about work-life balance and it's really a work-life blend. And honestly, I took that a little bit at the time as you're just trying to get me to work more. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I, yeah. <laughs> but I actually use that phrase a lot. I might even, if I ever have a podcast, it might be called Work-Life Blend and I'm gonna give him credit because I remember um, him and his name like it was yesterday. But when you are doing work that you love or at least work that you're choosing to do for the time, it is a work-life blend. And it is devastating as COVID was for a lot of people. It level setted and brought out what a lot of women have been going through for a very long time. It was almost insustainable for me to have the job that I had because my commute was so long. I live in a big city where the office was located. It was not acceptable at that time to do things virtually. And that's just not how it was built, which meant I was never going to be able to be in that role for a long time. And what I should have done was owned the fact that I needed a day at home. I would be more productive to everybody else around me if I had time at home where I didn't have the commute, where I could actually see my kids before five o'clock, where I could prepare for the meetings coming up ahead, and I shut it down. I shut down my calendar so I could focus on being a navigator. And I didn't step into that. I also have a woman right now. She's running a woman's division of a big national organization. And she said, I've got a lot of women that are working for me that have become the caretakers for their parents. They have had some things happen in their life. She's like, I don't know how to navigate that. 
And I think that's what women are really great at. We are really great at being like, that is a really crappy situation. How can I help you? Instead of that is a really crappy situation. I need you here at eight. And that is what women bring. Gosh, yeah. And when we can own that and own that with pride and say, hey, getting here at 830, you're going to be more productive. So let's roll with that, right? There's beauty in that empathy that I think comes to women naturally. Agreed. 100% agree. And I look back at not just sales leaders or managers or whatever, like individual sales contributors. Some of the best ones I've ever been able to work with have been females or around that because when anybody feels comfortable being themselves and you allow them to come into their own and express their instinctual responses and how they they move in and step into that light i've seen amazing things happen from an entry-level person that's been in the role for six months who is scared to dial the phone to a year later being top of the leaderboard while still being like in an sdr spot beating out account executives who've been in the role for three or four years because the way that empathy comes through the phone in person. Like there's just something about it that it's really hard for like me to do. Like it is one of the things that, so I have a personal coach and that is literally one of the things we work on the most is how to lead my household. And that's one of the things that we're really digging into is like, how do I be that empathetic leader, that person that really connects with my six-year-old that's upset that her helmet got a scratch on it. And instead of being like, get up, wipe off, get on your bike, you know how to ride it. It's like remembering when you were six, remembering in being in that situation and all that stuff. And so it's, it is challenging for a lot of us. And I think where we don't give enough women credit is like, that's where their superpowers are. Like, wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. We could talk for another 45 minutes yep. on the bike, the bike <laughs> situation. Um, I feel you on that one. That one hit hard. <laughs> yeah. And I, I hopefully that, that kind of helped answer the question about the struggle with getting some female leaders on here. And I hope that the audience hears that and starts sending more because like, I really feel like that is a change that needs to happen, not in just sales leadership, but in business in general, just because there needs to be more true leadership in business today, whether it's in tech, whether it's in retail or whatever, because there needs to be more people who instinctually gives a shit about another human. Yeah. If you've got a team of a whole bunch of women top performers, you've got to have some leaders that where they can see themselves become leaders. And I know I'm speaking what is all over social media and all this stuff, but it's not necessarily common practice yet. And in order for them to be a leader, we have to make it an environment where they can thrive in the world that they're living in and the work that they're doing. Yeah. Give them grace. Like we live in a new era of of working in business and the strict nine to five is gone. And I think it's for the better, like give people flexibility, allow them to take charge of their own calendar and their own environment and work the way that they see. But obviously you still need to work and get stuff done. Let's not go off the deep end, but there needs to be a difference in perspective top to bottom. hundred percent. Okay. So I know you and I, every time we talk, we can go for hours. So wrapping things up, like if people want to hear more from you, Stephanie, learn about what you're doing, the women worship, sorry, what was the WWW acronym again? It's women worship and work. And that site just went live by the way. So it's oh, perfect. Yeah. So it's women worship and work.com. You spell out and 
And my website for uh, GLS is glscoach.com. I'm on LinkedIn as Stephanie Patty, spelled like Gwen Stefani, S-T-E-F-A-N-I-P-A-D-Y. And um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and all the things under either GLS Coach, Women Worship and Work, Steph Patty. You'll find me. Yeah. Yeah. If you just spell Stephanie with the I and no E, you're like the first thing that pops up in everything, which is really great. So everyone listening, you know, I hope you're able to pull some value from today's episode. If you get anything from it, share it, send it to a friend and frankly, send some people over. If there's a leader that you want to hear on this show, by all means, like let's share the positivity and help everyone grow. Stephanie, it's been great. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dwayne. Okay, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sales Leader Network as much as I did. Make sure you send it to a few of your friends, take a screenshot and copy the link to this episode so you can share it on social media. It's on each of us to spread the power of what true leadership has on the people around us. To join our growing community of sales leaders, go to salesleadernetwork.com right now and apply so you can continue your leadership journey. I truly hope you were able to get value out of today's episode and look forward to seeing you again on the next one.